Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Okay, today is Tuesday, October 10th. Good show today, guys. We have Carlos Medina from EXTR 106.3s in Atlanta. Going to talk to him all about the Braves currently in a battle with the uh, Phillies after last night's second game in the NLDS. We're going to talk about Hawks with him two two weeks away from tip-off in the NBA season. And then the Falcons, of course, exceeding expectations, as many people would say. I do want to start, though, today, guys, divisional round. Let's start with the Dodgers, Dodgers, Diamondbacks, Uh, Kershaw. His terrible playoff performance added again. He gave up a six to one lead early six in the first nothing lead early inning. in the first inning. Not a good outing for Kershaw at all. I mean, this rest, this uh, buy that the Dodgers had, and and obviously the Braves and the Orioles and the Astros. Everybody, the, those teams are a combined. What are they? One and yeah. one and five. Out of those game one, in game one and game two, out of all the teams, both all of them combined one and five, and it's not looking good so far for the Dodgers as they just completely got whacked on Saturday night. I'm not going to panic with the Dodgers just yet. Let's see what happens in game two. When you look at what the Diamondbacks did, obviously they got after Kershaw. One-third of an inning is just flat-out inexcusable for any pitcher in any situation, let alone the first game of the postseason. But Corbin Carroll and the Diamondbacks are rolling right now. This is a team that you just wonder sometimes. We always do rest versus rust, and we always talk about teams that get buys versus teams that have to fight for their lives to get into the postseason. Well, the Diamondbacks certainly had to do that, and they've got the momentum right now where the Dodgers – pretty much had everything clinched a long time ago. And so you just wonder if the rust factor is there for the Dodgers. But I, I expect them to bounce back, get it done tonight in game two, and then go back to Arizona 1-1. And it's a series that the Dodgers have dominated throughout the course of the season. So if they could just handle uh, tonight. 13-11 and 11 record in the playoffs, Kershaw does, with a 4.5 ERA. And that's over. That's just over 194 innings. His uh, regular season record, though, is well above that, as we all know. One of the best pitchers in the league. Two, uh, 210 for 92 with a 2.5 ERA. So almost uh, two more runs uh, he averages in the playoffs and just not even close to a record um, at, in the playoffs as he does in the regular season. Let's move on. Phillies, Braves. Uh, we are recording this Monday night before the games actually do occur, the, before the second games of the NLDS uh, do do occur. But let's just go through game number one, guys. Phillies, Braves. Are Phillies uh, kind of finding the rhythm again, just like they did, la- just like they did last year uh, in the playoffs? They are. They are finding their rhythm. And I think this playoff team for the Phillies this year is better than last year's team, to be honest with you. This lineup, I trust this lineup more. And the pitching staff has gotten it done again. Wheeler and Nola and Ranger Suarez on Saturday night so far. It has just been a very good pitching performance for the Phillies, including the bullpen as well. Even pulling Suarez in the fourth inning, I thought Thompson made a questionable decision but the bullpen really strung it together for the Phillies in their win. 
Yeah, it kind of goes to show you how different baseballs become that in a 0-0 game in the fourth inning, we're pulling the starting pitcher. But in the case of the Phillies, it absolutely worked, no doubt about it. And when you can shut down one of the greatest lineups in the history of baseball, and I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that with what the Braves did this year, that that is absolutely remarkable. And I think the Phillies right now might be the hottest team in the National League. I think they were a very tough out, and I'm sure the Braves were not thrilled to get them in the first round as opposed to potentially playing the Diamondbacks. So I think the Phillies are a tough out. You've got Bryce Harper. You've got all the guys that they've got. I think they have a chance to, uh, when they get back to Philly, I think they've got the advantage with it being a divisional matchup. And this is a team that went to the World Series last year. If I had to pick between the two NLDS surprise game one winners, I would say that Philly has a better chance of winning their yeah, series so, than the Diamondbacks uh, do. Like I said, games haven't started yet. Second games of the series have not started yet. Game four, if necessary, will be on Thursday. We can break it down then. By by next episode, Braves might be out of it. I mean, if, if they continue to play the way they played on uh, Saturday night, Braves might very well be swept by the Phillies. And by you know Thursday's show, we might, be, we might be talking about the Braves having an early out, the best record in baseball, getting swept by just another really hot Phillies team, just like they did, just like they did last year. Rangers-Orioles, guys. Um, were Orioles... I don't want to say underrated, but were they too young to handle the big lights of the playoff baseball? Certainly looks that way. I mean, their first two games, the, the atmosphere was great. Their pitching was not. I mean, the Rangers, who play in Arlington, outscored the Dallas Cowboys, who also play in Arlington last night. So that's kind of a problem if you're the Baltimore Orioles. But their pitching staff has just not gotten it done. Their bullpen has been a little bit ravaged toward the end of the season, but... The Rangers were a team that led the American League West for 159 days, kind of blew it at the end. But this is still a very good team that they're uh, they're putting together, and I think they've got they're they're up 2-0. I think they're going to finish off the Orioles and Baltimore. They had a great record this year, but this is where you know having good pitching matters more than anything else, and having some playoff experience matters. The Orioles lack in both of those areas. It sure looks like the Orioles playoff. Not not so young playoff experience has gotten to them so far in the series, but it's shocking. I thought the Orioles had some home field advantage going in. I thought they would win win at least one of the two games against Texas and par- probably get this to a game five. But it doesn't look that way for the Orioles. The Rangers look really good, and their pitching has really come together. And I thought Scherzer. Being injured before the postseason started was a big loss for them, but the pitching and the and their lineup hasn't been, has been holding. Yeah, the uh, ALDS games, unlike the NLDS, uh, we have had two of those go uh, by already. Rangers in the driver's seat right now, two to nothing lead. I agree, Zach. Orioles just pitching is so bad. I mean, it's not bad; they're just not deep enough. You have to be deep pitching to make it any kind of a run. Wild card, uh, they didn't even play obviously because they had the first round by the rest versus rush. Uh, rust debate continues. I mean, you look at the Rays. The, the Rays the last couple of years, I know obviously they played in the wild card this year, but I know the, the big issue for the Rays is the last couple of years has been them having the bye in the first round. And it just never seems to turn up pretty – it never seems to end well well for teams that do have that first round bye. And, and the Orioles are just another example of that. Twins-Astros tied 1-1. Might be the only series that is tied after two games in, in the divisional round, guys. This is going to go to the wire. I think this game does go all the way, you know, you know, up to five games. So, 
what do you guys think? Uh, what do you guys think about this series so far? Definitely the most exciting series to watch so far, as far as just being close. I mean, Phillies obviously is very explosive with the offense going on, and uh, so are the Rangers against the Orioles. But I think as far as a close game goes, this is the most exciting matchup I think we have in the divisional round so far. Yeah, how about uh, Carlos Correa coming back against his former team yesterday and, and really dominating, you know, passing Derek Jeter and David Ortiz for most postseason RBIs in history, which is remarkable to think about. And the Twins, who waited eight or 21 years to win a playoff game, 18 straight playoff losses, uh, now you've won three of out four playoff games that they've played to this point. And I don't think they're intimidated by the Astros. You look at Houston, their pitching is not what it's been over the last couple years or so. And I think this is a gettable series for the Twins, the way that they're playing right now. Again, it's teams that are hot to end the season as opposed to having that bye. And I guess we're going to have to have the conversation about does the bye week hurt teams because right now it certainly appears to be that way. But Minnesota's lineup, I think, has been better than people realize. And they were kind of the team that was thrown in. Like, oh, yeah, somebody has to win the AL Central. No, this team's just really good. Obviously the first time they won a playoff series since 2002, just to even get to this point. Carlos Correa, like you said, Zach, Dominating against his other team, his old team against the Astros. Uh, it does go back to the Twin Cities, though. I think uh, tomorrow or tonight, actually, it would be Tuesday. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if the Twins can, uh, yeah, make it a two-one game heading into uh, game number four. Let's move on, though, guys. We're going to talk about um, Monday Night Football real fast. Give yourself a little bit of a preview. What do you guys like out of this matchup? What do you not like? What are your predictions? Um, Zach, we'll start with you. What are you what are you thinking about Monday Night Football tonight? Yeah, let's see Jordan Love play on Monday night for the first time and handle the national stage because the last time we saw this team play, they really struggled against the Lions, got down 27-3 very early on in that game and were never really competitive. And now you're in a must-win situation going up against the Vegas team that's frankly not all that great. You know, we don't know who's going to play quarterback for them tonight. Uh, I think it's yeah, going to be know. Jimmy G, but I'm not certain about that because he got a concussion. Um Devontae Adams going against his former team, obviously, is probably the big story in this game. It would be a little more interesting if it were in Lambeau Field as opposed to Vegas. But, no, I I think the Packers bounce back. They need this game, and I think their defense will show up. I think they'll be able to contain Josh Jacobs. They really couldn't stop the run against the Lions, but in their other three games, they did a pretty good job containing the run game. So I'm going to take the Packers on the road to win. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Packers as well. They need to win this game on the road. The Raiders... Just not a good team this year. And the even though the Packers have injury concerns, a lot of injury concerns with Aaron Jones going into tonight's game and Christian Watson. But for the Packers, I think this is going to be a very close game. Probably not the most exciting game here on Monday night. I think it's going to be low 20s, 24-20, 24-21, 23-20. We're looking in that range of scores. I think Green Bay wins it. Yeah, I, I pick Green Bay to win this game simply because they lost last game. This is a up-and-down season to to the T for the Packers. I mean, it's going to be a 9-8, 8-9 uh, season for sure. They're going to be just around that 500 mark. I mean, they lost last week against the Lions, so it only makes sense that they win this week. Because it's, I really, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if every other game they just win, lose, win, lose. Because it's going to be one of those uh, seasons for the Packers. I don't, <laughs> uh, and especially against the Raiders team, which I still do think are probably one of the worst teams in the league, if not the worst. I mean, obviously they have to compete with the Cardinals and Bears for that, for that, uh, you know. For that nomenclature but yeah we'll, we'll see what happens it's gonna be a good good matchup overall still have football on 
Um, and yeah, we'll uh, we'll see if they can get it done. Let's move on, guys, to our recap of last, uh, you know, uh, Sunday though, uh, week five, all the games on Sunday. Uh, Zach, we'll start with you. What was your closest game of the week last week? Good. Yeah, closest game was Falcons and the Texans. C.J. Stroud went down, gave the Texans a lead with about a minute to go. And how about Desmond Ritter, one of the best games of his career, uh, scoring the first touchdown with a rushing touchdown, then getting his team in range for uh, the game-winning field goal. And on a day where uh, B. John Robinson didn't have a big day, but he had a receiving touchdown. And the offense in general, this was not a pretty game to watch. But it ended up being a great outcome for the Falcons, obviously. And Keeping on pace in the NFC South right now. They needed this win badly. They finally got Kyle Pitts the ball. Seven catches, 87 yards. And on a day where they only averaged 2.7 yards per carry, they kind of stole a game with Young Hoku having the last second field goal. But, I mean, this was technically the closest game of the weekend. The two-point margin of victory, that was the closest game. So, I, I think you got to give it to the Falcons for knocking yeah, off mean, the Texans. Not only did the Falcons need a win, they needed to see this out of uh, Desmond Ritter. I mean, Desmond Ritter has been having some doubts over the last couple of weeks. Uh, we talked about it all with, uh, you know, um, Carlos Medina coming up in a second here. But Desmond Ritter... Awesome last minute drive, uh, five for five on his uh, you know last minute drive to set up Ku's game winning kick. Uh, only a minute and fifty seconds left, a minute forty nine seconds left that he had to to you know pretty much take it all the way down the field and set up the Falcons for this win. Beaton Robinson is still a beast. He's he's so good. I mean, he's one of the best running backs in the league, if not the best running back in the league. And he's only a rookie, so that's absolutely amazing. He's a, he's the reason they're winning so many games alone. I mean, he's. Mid-performance of 14 rushes for 46 yards this week, but the other weeks he's been just so good. And uh, even it, great win for the Falcons. Even if he doesn't have the best game, they can still find a way to, uh, you know, utilize other rushing uh, leaders, other rushing attacks, and uh, get the job done, get the W. Justin, what was your closest game of the week? My closest game of the week was kind of a slugfest but kind of brutal in the third quarter, The obviously being the London game with the Bills and the Jaguars. So it's a five-point win for Jacksonville, 25-20. to 20. But Buffalo was in the game, mostly. Buffalo was mostly in the game. I know Jacksonville kind of went up by two scores in the fourth quarter. But really, besides the fourth quarter and all the scoring, this was a very... This was a very close game, in my opinion. Most intriguing storyline. Zach, we'll start with you. What was your most intriguing storyline of this past Sunday? Hmm. So the most intriguing storyline, I think, is the fact that the San Francisco 49ers have established themselves as the best team in the league. I don't think anybody should really question that right now. They're 5-0. and They have dominated virtually everybody in their wake. Brock Purdy, let's stop calling him Mr. Irrelevant. Let's stop trying to say, oh, he's a bottom 10 quarterback. Oh, it's the system. Brock Purdy has yet to lose a start where he didn't have a ligament tear in his elbow. The guy was fantastic last night. Three touchdown passes to George Kittle. That that defense dominated Dak Prescott, forced him to throw three interceptions. Big game Dak showed up yet again. The 49ers are the most well-constructed roster in the league because I can't really pick a noticeable weakness with this team right now on either side of the ball. I think they are the team to beat, and I think we could start narrowing down the number of teams that actually have a chance to beat them because a lot of people are high on the Cowboys, and that game was not. The Cowboys uh, resorting back to their uh, midseason form. Dak Prescott got exposed again, kind of like he was last weekend. Uh, only 14 for 24, just barely over 150 yards. Three interceptions for only one TD. Of course, that's against a, you know, a 49ers defensive back end, but 
still, I mean, what are your thoughts on just not to go on a tangent, but the Cowboys here, are they kind of resorting back to what they usually do in the mid- middle of the year? Yeah. Sure seems that way. I mean, Dak, as I mentioned, doesn't really show up in big games. They don't really have a trusted receiver outside of CeeDee Lamb that I, I would consider as a go-to guy right now. And this is a defense that's you know thought of as one of the best in the league. Yeah. Well, yesterday, they got cooked. And you watch this Cowboys team. They've blown out some bad teams, and they lost to the Cardinals. And then you get blown out against the best team that they've played so far. So I don't yep. really know what this team is mm-hmm. right now. I don't know how good they actually are. But that was my biggest takeaway. I mean, that was the thing the Cowboys were flaunting over the last, you know, since the beginning of the season, the last four weeks, they've been saying how good their defense is and how they're just as good as the 49ers defense. But I mean, just absolutely just they dominated them uh, yesterday, the 49ers. The 49ers showing that it's not just their defense that's good, but their offense is also really good. I guess it's supposedly, you know, top tier Cowboys defense. I mean, Kittle himself had three touchdowns i mean mccafferty no surprise he ran for 51 yards with 19 rushes and a touchdown himself i mean purdy we already said how amazing he played and yeah just a really bad showing for for dallas for dallas overall um my most intriguing storyline i'm gonna get to it a little bit later too um with the new year's resolutions but i think the mac jones era in new england is probably over um jones looks really really bad against new orleans uh 12 for 22 only 110 yards with two interceptions um bailey zappy um he got benched for bailey zappy again for the second week in a row i don't know what to really make of new england i think they might have to be move on from mac jones or at least do something different maybe give bailey zappy more saps or more snaps excuse me to see what he can do but yeah, that's my most intriguing storyline. I don't know uh, really what New England does going forward, and I think Mac Jones uh, might might be losing his job over the next week or two here. Justin, what's your most intriguing storyline? My most intriguing storyline would be the New York Giants. Daniel Jones, that area in New York, might be over, suffering another neck injury, his second neck injury in the, in the last three seasons for Daniel Jones, and the Giants are optimistic, they're saying, for Week 6. He's not playing in Week 6. I can guarantee you that. And it looks like the Giants are going to have to get a new quarterback in the draft and, and basically be be much smarter. But it isn't just Daniel Jones. I mean, you can blame – I blame the Giants organization for not surrounding him with weapons and an offensive line. That's what you need to win with in the NFL. And – the Giants right now, and they and they did score a first half touchdown. Good for them, but on the defensive side of the ball, with a pick six against Tua Tagovailoa against the Dolphins. So my intriguing storyline would be the Giants. So that touchdown, that pick six, 102 yards, so more than the length of the football field. It was their only TD they scored in that entire game, and in fact, it also was the first first half TD for the Giants this whole season as well. Yeah. And it wasn't yeah. offensive. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a bit like yeah. Daniel Jones did leave with that injury, quote unquote. We don't. I mean, I, I'm not going to downplay injury, but I don't know what he does going forward. I mean, both Joneses. There's problems with the Joneses on both New England and Giants. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, once you bench a, you know, once you bench a quarterback, if it's not for injury purposes, it's really hard to come back. And I don't actually know what the Giants and New England's going to do for quarterback if they do, you know, start to bench. Or, you know the Joneses that they have there, and uh, how they go forward. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, we'll move on, guys. Um, Zach, what is your surprise of the, uh, surprise of the week? Yep. Surprise of the week, I'm going to go with the Pittsburgh Steelers knocking off the Baltimore Ravens because the Steelers' offense is offensive to watch under Matt Canada, but they struck the big play with Matt, uh, George Pickett, or Kenny Pickett hitting George Pickens for the winning touchdown with under two minutes to go. The Steelers have one of the best defenses in the league. We know that with T.J. Watt especially leading the way up front. The Ravens had seven drops yesterday. They really did Lamar Jackson no favors in this game. They, that's, they should have been up 17-3, 17-0 at halftime and had this game put away. And the Ravens are a good team that have kind of given away two games this year. One, it's against the Colts, and now yesterday against Pittsburgh. And somehow the Steelers are tied atop the division, even though it feels like the Steelers are not a particularly good yeah, team. Yeah, no, that, was, that um, was a surprise. Not very good until like the very last quarter, I would say. That game, it's actually, I'll get to it in a second, but it actually is my snoozer of the week. Surpri- I mean, despite the good ending it had, it's actually my su- snoozer of the week. Uh, they, yeah, it, it's weird because the Ravens, that's usually what they're so, what they hang their hat on, just like the Cowboys were doing this year, their defense. And then, their defense is actually what's kind of losing them games here and not being able to, you know, put it away for them. My uh, surprise of the week, not not a big surprise because Jags are still a really, 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 really good team. But Jags do beat the Bills, sweep the London series in back-to-back weeks. Uh, and, uh, Travis Etienne, uh, really, really good. One of the most elite players for the Jaguars, if not the whole AFC. Rushed for 136 yards and, and two uh, touchdowns in the fourth quarter to lead the Jags over the Bills. Jags are really, really fun to watch. I love watching the Jags. I think their offense is extremely underrated. Uh, they, they just beat the Bills team that I think a lot of people would have said had, um, you know, when they were the best team in the league by a lot of people's power rankings. Do you guys think like the time zone might have had anything to do with it though? I mean, Jags were there. Jags were used to it. They oh, yeah. played there mm-hmm. last week. Bills, I mean, this would have been, I mean, what? what this would have been like a, I guess nine o'clock start, obviously for them, or if not even earlier, they have to get up, get to the stadium, probably at like six in the morning. Jags, like I said, though, used to it already. What do you guys think of that? How much of a factor does that have to do with it all? Do you think they left on Saturday, actually, or Friday? I'm sorry, they left on Friday yeah. to get to London. So that's a that plays a big part into it, and getting to the stadium that early. I mean, it was just a short week in London, and basically. You know, it was it was not a good week weekend for the Bills. Yeah. I mean, I'm shocked that they actually got out to London. Shocked that they got there week few days before the game and and Monday as well. I mean, they should have got out there Monday, which teams mm-hmm. usually do that going to London. Yeah, I would have done that. I would say that the biggest thing is not the time change. The biggest thing is the game wasn't in Buffalo like it was supposed to be. So no home field advantage. I think that's what cost yeah, them more than anything um, else. Definitely, Jags. It's their second home. We keep saying it. Uh, opportunity though, it was there for the Bills for sure. I mean, the Jaguars survived two really, really costly strip sack loss fumbles by Trevor Lawrence. Uh, both times actually were in Buffalo territory. Uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, the Jags' offense was just like I said, so good. One of the best offenses in the league to watch. I already said it, but I mean, Calvin Ridley, he's coming off seven catches, 122 yards. I already said about Travis Etienne, so fun to watch. I think they're very underrated. And, I think they should be uh, a top, at least the top three teams on people's power rankings, if not already. Um, you don't think so? Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, don't know about that. No, San Francisco, Philadelphia, and then do you think you're probably Philadelphia is that good City. though? 
I mean, they are good. Don't get me wrong; they're good, uh, yeah, but like, I think they're like, mm-hmm. I don't know. They've seemed they've struggled though. I mean, they definitely have struggled against teams they should have beat. Their offensive, their offensive, not looked as good as it was this time last year. Uh, I mean, I guess doesn't have to be. And the Jaguars got blown out by the Texans. I think we forget mm-hmm. that. Still find and Philly still finds ways to win. Jacksonville just they don't. I mean. I, I didn't think Jacksonville was that good. I mean, they started off one and two. I feel like they should. I feel like they should have beaten Kansas City. Let's put it that at that too. I mean, Kansas City. I probably. I if I had to go top three, I would go San Francisco, Philadelphia, and I would put the Dolphins. Yeah, in Stroud. Speaking of the Texans, though, I mean Stroud continuing his record of I think it's like a hundred and seventy-two passes or something without an interception. It's. The only like he broke it last year. He broke uh, he broke the record last year at, like at one fifty something, and he still had another game, no interception. So Texans are, I think they're a sneaky team for sure, though. And I know they beat out. I know they beat the Bay, or Jaguars pretty pretty handily, but they're definitely not a not a bad team. At least, especially a lot better than people thought they would be. Uh, Zach, what's your shootout of the week? Shootout of the week. Uh, highest scoring game of the day was the Panthers and the Lions. I, I don't know if it was a shootout from the Panthers' end. It certainly was from the Lions' end. Sam Laporta had a couple of touchdowns. Jared Goff threw three touchdown passes. David Montgomery had another big day. Detroit's got one of the best offenses in the league, and I don't think it gets that much attention. Ben Johnson, a terrific offensive coordinator, had chances to take a head coaching job last year, didn't do it. And I think Dan Campbell and company are very happy that he did not because right now, this is a Lions team got a fun offense to watch. They had a direct snap to David Montgomery with Jared Goff under center. I didn't know that that was possible, but they managed to do that. And Detroit right now, I think some they're still kind of sneaking under the radar, aren't they? They beat the Chiefs, and then after that, they really haven't done anything of substance as far as they're taking care of business. But I think there's still some people that want to see what happens when they play San Francisco or Philadelphia or one of these other teams. But I'm going to go Panthers, yeah, Lions, play, and shoot out of the uh, Yeah, I mean, we'll see what they happens if they, when they make the play. I mean, if they make the playoffs. But I don't think they play them in the regular season, do they, the Lions? Uh, yeah, I'm looking at the schedule now. I don't no, they don't play so. them in the regular season. But Lions, I think, will definitely make the playoffs, I mean, unless they just completely crumble. But I doubt it. I mean, they play the Vikings twice at the end of the year. Broncos, Bears before that even, and then obviously the Bears twice as well. So, yeah, I, I think they'll – They'll make the playoffs, and then they'll definitely see it. Probably the Eagles or the 49ers in one of the first rounds, inevitably. Uh, my shootout of the week, my surprise shootout of the week, not surprise of the week, but my surprise shootout of the week, uh, Bengals-Cardinals. Um, did not expect this game to be as entertaining as it was. Jamar uh, Jamar Chase is explosive. Uh, season high, 192 yards, which is amazing. I, I don't even know what his career high is, but it can't be much more than that. Three touchdowns on the day. Another wide receiver with three touchdowns. He set a single-game franchise record with 15 receptions and made uh, really, really tough catches in traffic that ultimately helped the Bengals you know, take down Cardinals in Arizona. Uh, Joe Burrow, I mean, he looked really, really good today. I think he's still not right. Cardinals are just not a good team. He was able to kind of cook against them, able to you know, kind of humiliate, humiliate the, the worst team in the league. But defense of the Cincinnati I mean, really, really bad. I mean, Cardinals, bad team, offense and defense. And for the Cardinals to put up as much points as they did, uh, Bengals have a lot of problems ahead of them. Offense still not right. Joe Burrow still not right. And then defense apparently obviously is not very uh, on tight either. Justin, what's your shootout of the week? 
Shootout of the week, I got the Colts and Titans. Anthony Richardson, even though he left the game with a, with an apparent AC sprain, uh, he absolutely so the Colts absolutely getting the win in a close game for them. Minshew coming in, Gardner Minshew throwing 155 yards. The Colts still finding ways to win, definitely being a surprising start for them and getting that Jonathan Taylor deal done was a big. Big, huge thing for the Colts in their offense. So the Colts managing to get a 23-16 to win over the Titans. Close game, but I would say that was a that was probably my shootout of the week. Snoozer of the week. Zach, what is your snoozer of the week? Ooh, uh, Saints-Patriots, major snooze fest. Mac Jones was just garbage in this game. The Saints took advantage of it. Uh, Tyron Matthew actually outscored the Patriots all by himself with the pick six. Uh, early in the second quarter of that game. This was never a game from the very beginning. The Saints are a good team, not a great team. Probably going to win the dumpster fire known as the NFC South. And the Patriots, every week they could probably be on snoozer of the week. We saw it last week against the the Cowboys. And now with this game, outscored 72-3 over the last uh, two games. My uh, snoozer of the week, uh, I already said it earlier, Ravens, Steelers. Very boring game until maybe the last uh, closing minutes. Uh, Pickett to Pickens, as we always like to say, 41-yard shot to, uh, to Pickens in the end zone to uh, grab the lead and ultimately help the Steelers take down the Ravens. Baltimore played really, really bad. We already talk, talked about it earlier, but I mean, really just turned turn the ball over three times, dropped a handful of passes. I mean, they just really couldn't get anything going today. It's always ugly, though. I mean, this Steelers-Ravens can is always going to be an ugly game. Ravens, it could be, you know, week whatever. Ravens could be 11-2, and two and Steelers would be 2-11, and 11 and Steelers would still be have a chance to, to come away with a win, especially if it's at home, especially if it's in Pittsburgh like it was this past, past week. Um, what do you guys think about the um, Ottawa Audible, <laughs> as I'm calling it? What do you guys... Uh, do you think that he Pickett actually caught an audible at the end there? I thought you were going to talk. I thought you were going to talk about the Ottawa Senators <laughs> for a second, and that's hockey. That that's, that sounds like a hockey play yeah. in football. What do you guys that think? Term. Though, I mean, do you think that, do you think he actually caught? And that's what they're saying, anyhow. That's what they say online that uh, Pickett caught an audible at the end there. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, he definitely did. I don't think there's any doubt about it. That's why Matt yeah, Canada's reaction was the, the way the it was. The videos that came out of him on the sidelines was. Kind of yeah, he looks he looks so pissed. <laughs> um, games we didn't get to. I think we did a pretty good job. I mean, Texans Colts. We didn't really. Uh, we did talk about Texans Colts in the beginning. Uh, Chiefs Broncos. Do you guys have anything to say about that? Or not Chiefs Broncos? We might Chiefs Chiefs Vikings. Yeah, Chiefs, Chiefs Vikings. Do you guys have to say about that? I don't think we really talked about that game too much. Yeah, I'm surprised we didn't. It was actually a pretty good game. Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey doing it yet again. Uh, Kansas City's defense, I thought, played pretty well. Chris Jones got after Kirk Cousins. And Justin Jefferson, the big story out of this game is he's hurt, and we don't know what his long-term status is going to be. And the Vikings now drop to 1-4, and four, and all four of their losses have been in close games. So the reverse of what happened a year ago when they were winning all the close games this year, they're not winning the close games, and they've got a real uphill climb just to make the playoffs. And... Just another week in the life of the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, just seems uh, like Jets this Broncos. Point. Uh, that's what I meant to say. Um, Jets came came away with a win. It was the Hackett Nathaniel Hackett versus uh, Sean Payton uh, game. 
What do you guys kind of think about this? Nice little storyline going on there. The revenge. The revenge game for Nathaniel Hackett against Sean Payton. Yeah, very. And the Jets were able to get the revenge in that game. And Nathaniel Hackett with the revenge over Payton. And Zach Wilson, not very impressive this week. but, uh, But the Jets getting it done on defense. The Broncos are just... A dumpster fire right now. They probably should be winless. I mean, if they, the yep. Bears, I know they they kind of blew that game, but the Broncos are probably in the bottom five of NFL teams. I would say that easily. if I was making power ranking, yeah. I mean, that would that would easily be a bottom five. They're going to have a top five draft pick. Looks like this year, what top your, ten. What would be your uh, from worst to I guess <laughs> fifth? Fifth worst. What would be your guys's right now if you could if you had to rank them? What would be like your worst team? We'll just start there. Bear. Oh, the Bears. Yeah. Uh, probably, maybe not the Bears. Probably, probably the Panthers being zero and five. Yeah, yeah. I would go Panthers. Then I would go. I would probably go yeah. Bears number two, number three Broncos, Giants number four. I mean, the Giants can't even put it put together an offensive touchdown in the first half, I mean, they should definitely be in the bottom five. And then the Cardinals. So, I mean, the Cardinals are not that bad, even as a one and four team, but they're in in every game. I know the Bengals kind of blew them, not blew them out, but won by double digits by 14 points, but the Cardinals have been in it. The Giants can't put together an offensive touchdown in the first half. The Panthers are winless. And then the Bears and the Broncos, obviously, they played last week, and they're both one in fourteen right now. I would throw in as well the team that has the second worst point differential, and that's the Patriots. They're minus seventy six. They've gotten blown out mm-hmm. as I mentioned back to back weeks. They're one and four with a rudderless ship at the quarterback position. Yeah, they, I'm gonna hold off on the Bears. I, Bears only because Fields has played really, really good the last two weeks. I mean, they beat Broncos week four, which I mean, I. He didn't beat oh, the sorry, Broncos. Sorry. Beat yeah, them, that's actually. what I meant to say. Thank you. But still, I mean, he, yeah. Fields still had four touchdowns. Uh, they beat the Commanders last week, obviously the Bears. And I'm going to hold off on saying they're the worst team. I do actually think the Broncos might be one of the worst teams, if not the worst team. I mean, time will tell. Obviously, Vikings bad record, but definitely not a top five or definitely not a bottom five. Uh, they might not, might not even be bottom ten. You know, you look at the Giants this year. Jets are still really bad. I don't think Wilson has. You know, shown that he can be the guy yet. I mean, despite the last two weeks, um, yeah. I mean, I think uh, if I had to choose, I, I think I would say the Broncos would be the worst team, and then uh, yeah, Cardinals would be very, uh, very close behind that, and then the Bears would be you know rounding that top, uh, that bottom five as well. Uh, Eagles, Rams. If we get touch on Eagles, Rams, I don't actually know if we talked on Eagles, Rams at all. I don't think we really did. Yeah, no, um, we did. Every game, I think we did though. But Eagles, Rams. Any last minute words for this game? Goddard, really, really good. Uh, you know, it was, it was a tight end day. I guess a lot of people are trying to compete with Kelsey. Uh, eight receptions, 117 yards with one touchdown. Uh, we know Kittle obviously played really, really well on Sunday night. Uh, what other takeaways do you guys have? Eagles, Rams. I mean, Eagles kind of. Continue to struggle on offense a little bit, right? I would say yeah. so. Probably, maybe not. I wouldn't say so. Jalen Hurts is actually getting much better. He had back-to-back three hundred-yard games. I know he threw an interception, but if that was a touchdown, 
they would have been up 24-14 in that game. And the Eagles continue to find ways to win ball games, Even if their offense is kind of choppy at parts, but, you know, there's quirks then and there with the passing defense. I know the first half, the, the Rams were up 14 to 10 at one point, but the Eagles still find ways to win games, and that's partially probably big if with the line of scrimmage. They, they could completely outplay teams on the line of scrimmage, both on the offensive line and the defensive line. Aaron Donald, no sacks in this game. No sacks yeah. in this game for Aaron Donald. The Eagles, they're, they're right up there with the 49ers in terms of line play, in terms of playing on the line of scrimmage. They probably have the best offensive and defensive lines in the league right now, and they still find ways to win even though they play sluggish. And the defense adjusted in the second half. The defense adjusted. Desai really yeah. came out and put together – put together a really good scheme in the second half. And Jalen Carter with two sacks, Hassan Reddick, two sacks at the end there. The pass rush is starting to starting to get together, starting to really hold it down. And I think this team is going to get, even with the tougher part of the schedule, still hasn't played their best ball yet, but I still think they're a top three team in the league. Rams are the best two and three team in my opinion, though, for me. Uh, Stafford's really good. Mm-hmm. Cooper Cup just came back. Puka Nakua playing awesome as well. They're going to be uh, with Cooper Cup back. I mean, Cup and Nakua are going to be an awesome duo going down the line. I mean, if you have them on fantasy or you don't have them on fantasy, at least try to trade for them or something because Stafford's known to kind of only target one or two receivers in games, and they're really, really good. And they're going to see the ball a lot. And really, I'm looking at their schedule. Uh, obviously, beat the Seahawks week one. Their only other three losses, of course, but. 49ers, week two, obviously talked about 49ers at length, best team in the league. They had a really, really bad Monday night game against the Bengals, that really, really boring uh, Monday night game where the Bengals won 19-16. But then the only other loss is against the Eagles, obviously, this past weekend. And so they, they lost to pretty good teams for the most part, except the Bengals. But uh, like I said, Cooper Cup's back. Stafford's still really good. And I, I, I would definitely say that uh, they're the best uh, two and three team right now. And that they should probably be better than that. All right, guys, let's be on the college. Um, awesome college football stack uh, we had this past weekend, this past Saturday, and, and even the Friday before, too. Um, let's talk about the game we have to talk about first, the Red, Red River Shootout, Oklahoma, Texas. Texas showing that they're unbeatable, and Oklahoma showing that they're really, really fun. Um, this game was I, – I don't even know if this game ever got to more than a two-score lead, did it? <laughs> Not in my yeah, not in uh, my no, I mean, what, Besides it just being just an awesome game to watch, super fun. I mean, what other like takeaways do you guys really have from this game? Legacy game for Dylan Gabriel, no question about it. Two hundred eighty-five yards passing, hundred thirteen yards rushing, and then leading the game-winning touchdown drive, throwing it to uh, Nick Anderson with fifteen seconds left. Great drive as Oklahoma went right down the field, almost made it look too easy in that respect. But the big takeaways that I had in this game is that Oklahoma was able to force three turnovers off Quinn Ewers. The first two drives of the game ended up being turnovers. You know, there was a special teams uh, touchdown for Texas on a block. We always know that this game is going to get wacky every year, and it certainly did again in this case. 
And I think this is going to be the first of two meetings because I think they're both going to meet in the Big 12 championship game with a no division setup. So I think these two teams are a clear step ahead of everybody else in the Big 12, and I think you'll be seeing them again in Arlington at the end of the year. But what a great win for Oklahoma after last year, going 6-7. and seven, Now they're 6-0. and oh. Brent Venables has turned this thing back around. Then this is a team that lost a lot of close games last year, and now they're starting to win some of those close games. And Oklahoma is very much a national title contender, and I don't think Texas yeah, no. is out of the mix by any uh, means. Best game of the year so far, though, would you say, in college? I mean, it's definitely up there. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, uh, let's move on. Survivors of the week uh, might be a new segment we do actually going forward. I think it's really pertinent for college. Start with LSU. Uh, LSU barely making it away this weekend with a win. Um, yeah, what do you guys feel about this game against Mizzou this uh, Mizzou? Yeah, this, excuse me, Mizzou this past weekend uh, had the rally though. Three touchdowns in the fourth quarter to come back with this win. They look mm-hmm. they look bad again. I still don't think they should be a top twenty five team. Maybe like right on the verge, but uh, what do you guys? I mean, it was a really ugly win for LSU, all things considered. Like I said, they had to have some end game heroics just to come against a team that a lot of people would say that they're better than, and especially a lot of people would say that they were better than at the start of the season. Missouri's a top team. Missouri's a very good offensive team, and LSU has a pretty bad defense, as just you alluded to, Zach. But Missouri is a very underrated team. They should be a top 25 team, and I think they should be higher than 25, in my opinion. This is a good, this is a very underrated offense and a pretty underrated defense. I know they didn't show it against LSU on Saturday. Yeah, the real difference in this game yeah. is that LSU was able to have balance. 274 yards rushing, uh, as opposed to Missouri, only 116 yards. So LSU was more balanced. Jane Daniels made some plays down the stretch. But let's not get it twisted. LSU's defense is just flat out bad. They are a bad defense right now, and that's going to hold them back from doing anything in the SEC. I'd kind of like to see LSU play USC. The final score would probably be like 55 to 52 or something like that, because either of those teams could stop a Yeah, I mean, Jaden right Daniels is pretty much the reason why LSU's playing. I mean, where they are, just him alone, because like you said, Zach, they're, yeah, they're so bad on defense. I think he would actually be a, maybe even a Heisman contention if they weren't on such a bad team. What are you guys' thoughts on that, Jaden Daniels? Any, any chance? I think yeah. he's a contender, yeah. yeah. I think he's a high Not now, contender. I mean, but with the team he's on, probably not. Not not LSU. But if he wasn't on a better not. team, it would be interesting. At least a, you know, an interesting thing to talk about. Other survivor of the week, Alabama. Um, yeah, Alabama struggled against uh, unranked Texas A&M. Fell into a very early, very early hole, excuse me, in the first half. Um Shaky, Jalen Monroe, again, he looked very, very shaky. Jalen Monroe, uh, only three touchdowns but with one interception. What do you guys think about this game? Um, Alabama, I still I still think Alabama is 11 this week after mm-hmm. they are, yeah? There. Should not even be in the top 15. They should be yeah, 15, you know, lurking on the top 15, but not even close to the top 10. Why is this? This team is named Alabama. That shows you why. I mean, this shouldn't even be a college football playoff team with the way they're playing. Maybe a bowl game. I don't think they're going to Yeah, play. I don't think they will either. Uh, what? But you never yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, if people – I mean, if team, you only need a couple of losses from a, from a couple of teams, and they would have to obviously win out Alabama. That's obvious, obvious statement. But if, if a couple of teams win or lose ahead of them, I mean, you never know. Mm-hmm. But – uh, I mean, especially next year, they'll be in it with the 12-team uh, 
poll that they have coming up. Washington State. Uh, what do you guys think about Washington State after this weekend? Did they drop down a peg? Oh, yeah. They definitely dropped down. UCLA dominated the line of scrimmage, outgained them by almost 300 yards in this game. Very surprising to see Washington State go up there and struggle the way they did. I was high on them offensively, especially with Cam Ward, and it just didn't happen for him this week. And so now Washington State probably going to be an 8-4 and four kind of team in the Pac-12 with how tough that schedule is going to be yeah. because I, I find it hard to believe if you can't handle UCLA at UCLA, what are you going to do when you have to go on the road against Oregon and against Washington? Maybe they pull an upset somewhere. But no doubt about it, this pretty much takes Washington State out of the Pac-12 yeah. race. This takes them out of the top 25 after this game, losing 25-17. to 17. Not a good offensive performance at all for yeah, next State. week they play Arizona at home. Uh, now this week after after this loss, they they are now 19th in the country. So, yeah, we're 12 now 19. We'll we'll see what they do. We'll, we'll see if they can bounce back. Maybe get you know top 10 uh, once the season before the season ends. My biggest takeaway of this past college football weekend, guys, maybe yours too. Georgia finally destroys an opponent. K- Kentucky's not a bad team either. Uh, they beat Kentucky. I think it was like what was the final? Uh, I think Kentucky had like fifty-one to thirteen. Okay. Georgia, won. yeah, finally destroying an opponent, guys. Uh, we needed to see it. We finally saw a game from Georgia, and yeah. after this week, we can maybe comfortably say that they should be number one. I'm not sure about that. I still don't know if they're the best team. I think Kentucky was kind of beefed up by a bad schedule. But, yeah, this is the version of Georgia we need to see. Carson Beck completed his first 12 passes or so in this game. Brock Bowers, Carson Beck dominated this game. Georgia finally looked like what we expect them to look like. And the, the one question I still have about them going forward is do they have the running game that, it's gonna, that we expect them to have? Because... Yes, they had 173 yards, but they had a couple of long runs in the process there. They did throw for 389 yards. I want to see that defense continue to get better. But this is the first sign that we've seen that Georgia looks like a team that could repeat. But I'm not going to put too much stock into it when I've seen them struggle twice already. And Kentucky, again, kind of beefed up because yeah, of a bad Yeah, Brock Bowers playing awesome. Um, you know, on the season, four touchdowns. Uh, over 350 yards. He's for Georgia. He's playing really, really good. Um, so that's just my that's my takeaway. I'm I'm glad to see Georgia finally uh, taking down a, a team comfortably, and not only that, but a top 25 team in the SEC. True. I yeah, I think it's fair. I, I think it's fair to put them at number one, and fair to put them in the top four rankings yeah. after that performance. Upset. Upset update. Zach Louisville. Takes down Notre Dame. Uh, I'll let yeah. you uh, start us off here. What do you? Uh, you were there, I'm sure. Yeah, I was there, and yeah, Louisville dominated this game from the line of scrimmage perspective. That was the thing that surprised me the most. I thought if Louisville was going to win this game, it was going to be the big plays, and in actuality, it was the running game. It was George Jordan, 143 yards and two touchdowns. Had a 45-yard touchdown in the third quarter. It gave him the lead for good. Jack Plummer only threw for 145 yards, and if you would have told me that in pregame, I would have said Notre Dame was going to win. But the Fighting Irish turned the ball over five times. Sam Hartman will never go back to Louisville because he's turned the ball over 11 times the last two meetings he's had against them in Cardinal Stadium the last two years. It's just a house of horrors, it seems like, for him. And then, you know, Jamari Thrash, eight catches, 75 yards, and a touchdown. The only guy on that team to have more than two catches. But it was the Louisville defensive line that really dominated the game. Notre Dame comes into this game with one of the best offensive lines thought of in the country, led by Joe Alt. But there were pass rushers that were free all over the place. They were getting constant pressure on Sam Hartman. And 
they outcoached Notre Dame, outphysicaled them. It was just, it, and it didn't feel like a fluke. You know, Jeff Brom's had some big wins that he's had, you know, some trick plays and he's had some things go his way. There was no fluke, nothing flukish about this. Louisville is the better team, and they've got a chance now to make a possible playoff push because their schedule is about to get a lot softer from here. They're pro- they, there's a chance they're 10-0 going to Miami and then Kentucky at the end of the season, and then we might talk about them in the ACC championship game, maybe. An outside what do you think about their defense? Left. I mean, I was really surprised by their defense. I know you kind of already talked about it. They gave Hartman you know, yeah. a lot of issues, but I mean, what do you think about their defense? I was just so impressed by how well they played. Yeah, their defense has been pretty solid for the most part this year. Outside of one bad quarter against Georgia Tech when they gave up 28 points, this has really been a unit that's been able to get pressure on the quarterback. Ashton Gelati leads the way there. Uh, Louisville second in the nation in pass rush or in pass block, win block percentage, whatever the hell that is. But the thing is they get after the quarterback. That's the most important thing. They've also forced turnovers. They've been really good at that. Ron English, a veteran defensive coordinator, has come in, kind of changed the culture there. And now you bring in Jeff Brom. This is the reason you do it, to beat top 10 teams, to get yourself in a position where you're in a big game and your head coach is an advantage. And no question about it, he was an advantage in this game, and that's why Louisville now is 6-0, and bowl eligible, and they've got an yeah, opportunity to, to do big next things. Weekend. Pitt has lost four of its last uh, – yeah, well, they've lost four games on the season, um, and the only win was their first win. So, yeah, the, first, the last four games that they've lost, so – should be another one for Louisville, but hopefully nothing weird happens. And, uh, yeah, maybe Louisville might even be top 10 uh, after this weekend, Zach. Uh, Georgia Tech, uh, Miami. Um, that's a weird game. Weird way, to end the, <laughs> weird way to end the game, guys. What do you guys think about this ending? Uh, should the coach uh, be getting as much flack as he is? And uh, what do you guys uh, – yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Awful yes. call. Awful call to end the game. You take you take the points or whatever you do. You you take the uh, yeah take, take a knee. knee. You won the game. What an awful yeah, I mean, play. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason victory formation was invented because when you get in this formation, you're calling victory, and that's all they had to do. There's no reason to hand the ball off in that situation. Put your running back in a position to fumble, and it was just as served that Georgia Tech went right down and won the game. That is, without exaggeration, one of the worst coaching moves we've ever seen at any level in the history of football. And I don't, that, that's not a stretch. That's not an overreaction because you literally handed the game over to Georgia Tech. Mario Cristobal is not going to get fired over this, but if they decided to fire him, I would not question it because it, the decision yeah, was that. That was the question. Do you think there's any bad. chance that he does get fired? I mean, he's, he's going to have a microscope on no. him though the rest of the year that's for sure if he does i mean he's he's one i mean this is, would be one more loss away like this and then he would get fired i mean he there's no doubt in my mind if he has another bad decision like this at the end stretch of a game he's gonna be gone from miami but i don't think you can make that big a mistake again if you try if you tried i mean i i never even played football and i would be able to make a better coaching decision than that so i don't think i don't see him really making a mistake like that again but but yeah, Miami though, I, I feel bad for Miami. Uh, their fans, specifically their fans, because they have the talent to compete in the ACC and maybe even outside the ACC, but they just keep finding ways to just shoot themselves in the foot and squander their opportunities. But yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens going forward. Um, next one, TCU, guys. Is the reign of TCU over? Yeah. Had a fairy tale yeah. run last year. Yeah, it's over. Uh, couldn't you know? Bad loss this past weekend. Uh, I mean, as it just we just hang up the towel. It's over for for TCU. 
uh, no, yep, yeah, yep. So that's uh, that's all I really have to say about that. But losing to Iowa State is pretty much a nail in the coffin. Um, yeah, the 2023 team this year has basically none of the same stars that they that they, they, that they did in 2022. That's a big part of the reason they're having trouble, obviously, but. Yeah, I mean, were you guys surprised though? I mean, usually a team they go to the national championship, they get a lot of recruiting, they get a lot of help, they get a lot of money, they get a lot of, you know, resources. Are you just, are you surprised by the season that they're having, given that they, that they did go to the championship last year? No, yeah. because they lost Max Duggan, their star quarterback, and they lost, you know, their top offensive weapon in Quentin Johnston. They lost their number one running back. Yeah, they they were always destined to come All back right, down. Last, uh, well, second to last game on the college slate, I want to talk about. Colorado barely beating a bad Arizona State team. Um, what do you guys have on this game? Um, Shadir Sanders flexing to the Ohio State or Arizona State, excuse me, student section. Um, but but after a pretty bad performance, in my opinion, I don't think he should have been doing that. What do you guys think? It's a litmus test for where Colorado ranks in the Big Pac-12, or uh, what's your overall take of in this game? And my that's that's how I look at it. It is a litmus test for kind of for like where they are. This game really brought them down a peg from how they started the season in the first two games, and um, they should really, if they had as much hype as they did uh, early in the season, they should have beat a pretty bad Arizona State team. I think they are the worst team in the Pac-12, and maybe even one of the worst teams in the country, Arizona State. So just a bad, bad, bad win for for Colorado. What what is your take on it? Overall, I'm not shocked about the game at all. I think Colorado peaked a little too early in the top 25. I thought they had a good start, really good start by them. And Arizona State, I don't think they're a top 25 team after Arizona State basically gave them a dogfight in this game. But I think Colorado still still got a lot of a lot of growth to do and. For, you know, still a much more improved team compared to last year, but wasn't the wasn't the best game for them all around. No, but it's a win that they wouldn't have had last year. I mean, anytime you are coming off a one win season, there's no such thing as a bad win. And we're talking about their schedule coming up and how much more difficult it's going to be. This is one of the games they had to have if they're going to go to a bowl game, and they went out. And got uh, it. Last game saves, I guess, the best conversation for last. If you, depending on how you want to look at it, USC's defense is really, really bad, guys. Atrocious. Forty-one points against Arizona—that's unacceptable. Yeah. I mean, that's they're they're squashing Keller Williams' um, talent. I mean, they're now I think what to ten in the country after this week, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they should be top fourteen, USC. But their defense is so bad. Um, three rushing touchdowns on the day for uh, Williams himself uh, through at Arizona. Um, but overall, I mean, their defense just couldn't. What do you guys think? What are you guys thinking? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Lincoln Riley is never going to win a national championship as long as Alex Grinch is his defensive coordinator because it's the same thing that happened at Oklahoma and it's continuing at USC. This is the worst defense of any major contender in all of college football. And they're giving up 40 points back to back weeks, 41 points given up to Colorado and to Arizona. Not necessarily the best teams they're going to play this year. They still got to play Oregon. They still got to play Washington. They even have to play Utah coming up in a couple weeks. They got Notre Dame this week. So. USC's got to get this all figured out very quickly because that defense is just going to hold them back. And if Caleb Williams didn't play for USC, this would be a team fighting to go to a bowl game. Well, yeah, right now. I, like That's I said, how bad he, their defense is. he's the reason that they, I mean, they even were competing in this game. I mean, three rushing touchdowns alone by him 
on Saturday. And yeah, I mean, it's just, I, they're kind of like Alabama. They need a lot of help if they want to make the playoffs, but I, if they keep playing like this, it's not going to happen. New week's resolutions, guys. We'll I'll start with you, uh, Zach. What is your new week's resolution? Oh, let's see here. My new week's resolution is going to be Sean Payton, shut up. Sean Payton, start worrying about winning football games. Quit worrying about the bucket hats. Quit worrying about sunglasses. Quit worrying about everything else. And don't talk about Nathaniel Hackett having the worst coaching job in the history of the NFL when you've got to play him in week five. And the Broncos have been humiliated so far, and there have been people talking about whether that team's going to break up or not. There have been talks about trading Jerry Judy, trading Cortland Sutton. This thing is not going to end very well for them. Sean Payton's going to get another year, certainly, because of his past success. But this is about as bad of a start as you could possibly imagine. So start worrying about football and start, stop top, telling Russell Wilson to you know, not kiss babies. Not that anybody should want Russell Wilson to kiss their babies right now, but that's beside the point. Just worry about trying to win some games because right now it, it's going to get bad. Their schedule... They've still got to play the Chiefs a couple times. They've still got to play the Chargers a couple times. Things are going to get worse My before they get better. New week's resolution. Talked about it earlier already, but Mac Jones. Uh, they need to bench Mac Jones. Uh, it's it's it hurts my eyes to watch. It hurts everyone's eyes to watch. Really, uh, really, particularly the last two games have just been absolutely awful uh, for him. Bailey Zappi played. He had he showed signs of uh, you know he's shown signs of being a good quarterback, at least a competent quarterback last year for the Patriots. I think they should give him a shot. And I think Bill Belichick, it might be time for him to ponder retirement. Um, I don't know if he's going to. He probably won't. He's probably going to be doing it until he can't do it anymore. But I think the whole this whole mindset of making it back to the big game is uh, a far-off notion for times to come for Patriots fans. And if that's what Belichick is holding out for, I think he's going to be waiting for a long time. And yeah, it might, might be time to think about holding it up for... Uh, you know, putting it up for, for Belichick and definitely, definitely give Bailey Zappi, uh, particularly that's my new week's resolution, give Bailey Zappi the keys. I think Belichick might actually be with a different team next year, in my opinion. I, I would I would ask that. I would say he's, he's going to leave New England. It wouldn't shock me to see if he ends up with the Chargers. Kind of wouldn't shock me because the Chargers... I don't think Belichick ever leaves. I, I think he leaves. I think... Craft is there. There's rumors of riff raff between those two. I I think Belichick's out after this year, in my opinion. What do you uh, guys think? Yeah, I don't. See, I think he's either going to retire it. or just not. I I think he's. Yeah, I mean, he's already won so much. I don't think he has any intention to leave New England. Um, there's just going to be other problems at another team as well. And I, yeah, I think he's just going to retire before he changes teams. But you never know. They'd have to buy out his contract. That'd be a lot of money. Uh, it would be so weird seeing Belichick on another sideline. Like, could you imagine seeing Belichick in like, I think you know, so. sunny San Francisco? Well, not that he would go to San Francisco, but like even like Los Angeles, like a sunny Los Angeles, like not pouring rain or snowing or just you know dark at six six o'clock without yeah, the hoodie. It would be so weird. <laughs> I it would be really weird to see. Justin, what is your uh, new week's resolution? My new week's resolution is. For the Bills to stop using Josh Allen as a running back. That could even be said for Jalen Hurts as well with the Eagles. I think Hurts is, is doing much better with sliding, but Josh Allen is like a running back so far. I mean, he's a good quarterback. He's got a strong arm, but don't Andrew Luck this guy, Buffalo Bills. Better not. 
Andrew Luck him, and he retires in the next two to three years because he's got a long career ahead of him with that arm, and he has some he has weapons. and And Buffalo, I thought they would take a step back, but this is a pretty good team. This is a team that's going to contend with the Miami Dolphins and the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC. I think this is a deep team and in a deep conference. Okay, guys, let's move on to our interview with uh, Carlos Medina, Atlanta. Braves uh, fighting it out with the Phillies right now, NLDS, great series going on with them. Hawks, going to talk about their expectations coming up this year. Um, new look Eastern Conference, how do they fit into all of that? And then, of course, the Falcons we talked about earlier and throughout you know this, this whole season, they've been playing really well, exceeding expectations. So without further ado, let's head to uh, Atlanta and talk some Atlanta sports with uh, Carlos Medina. Okay, we now head to Atlanta and bring on Carlos Medina, host on Extra 106.3 and 680 The Fan in Atlanta. Carlos, great to have you on. Great timing as well. Explosive game two of the NLDS from the Phillies and the Braves. We're going to start with that, get into some Falcons later and some Hawks to tip off about two weeks away in the NBA. Let's start with the game last night. Braves come back, four-run deficit, and Michael Harris making an amazing play at the very end to keep the Braves in this series before heading back to Philadelphia with a double play at the end of the game and uh, you know taking them on here to uh, Wednesday night in uh, Citizens Bank Park. What I mean, what was the initial reaction from all the fans just after that play? I mean, again, you could argue that the series might have been well over that if that play didn't happen. I think you can definitely make that argument. I was in the building for Saturday night, and you want to talk about kind of going to a funeral where you know you don't score any runs, you get shut out. The Phillies do what they did to you last year, and for the better part of six innings, and the way that that Wheeler was throwing, it looked like you were going to have the exact same scenario play out again. Uh, so to get that run that they were able to squeeze out and then the two-run homer from Travis Darno, uh, I just felt like, in my opinion, that the Braves had life. Four to three, and you've got seven outs to play with with what has been statistically one of the best offenses in the history of Major League Baseball. And so by the time that they're able to win it in the bottom of the eighth uh, with the Austin Riley homer, send everybody home happy. And, and you want to talk about a cool walk-off. You know, we've all seen walk-off homers, but to see a walk-off double play in the way that it happened uh, was just a fantastic ending to that game. Yeah, it would have been. I looked up some of the stat cast. I think it was like a you know 0.6 percent chance for a home run. It would have been a home run in over five ballparks in in the country. I mean, the, the odds of him catching that were very low. And like I said, to do that uh, ended up keeping the Braves in that game. Well, winning the game and then keeping them in the series uh, altogether. What about like the? Is there like a momentum factor a factor going from that game though? I mean, how big? Not only was it a win, but Speak on just like the momentum from that game as well and how big that's going to be uh, going over to, to Philadelphia. Well, if you, if you do believe in it, and I do, I think it's nice when you're playing well and showing up to the ballpark. That's uh, It makes it everything more convenient. Uh, I think you've got to hope with this because the Braves were marching out their two strongest pitchers with Strider uh, and, and then going at things last night uh, with, with you know, Maximum Freed. And if you had lost both those games, you're in a world of trouble. You know, Bryce Elder's been an all-star this year, but he's kind of scuffled a little bit in the second half. He hasn't been as dominant as he was in the first half. And so you would have been going down into Philly 0-2. Uh, I think if you do talk about momentum, it is about, all right, now you've got a chance to know for sure that at least Strider's going to get another chance on the mound. And possibly if you have to go to a game five, you'll then also have Max Freed again. So if that's momentum, that sounds like momentum to me. Is there a particular game? I'm not actually sure about the pitching lineups for the Phillies or the or the Braves. Is there a particular game that the Braves have eyed up 
over between Wednesday and Thursday coming up here that they have eyed on more than more than the other for obviously one of those games is a must win to go on. So is there a particular game between Wednesday and Thursday that the fans are and the Braves themselves are eyeing up? Well, I think they look at a swing game as is the chance to get Aaron Nola. They have been very effective when he has pitched against the Atlanta Braves and getting to him and scoring runs against them. Wheeler has been a totally different animal. Wheeler has been great against the Braves all year long. And so I think if you're just talking about matchups, uh, you're looking to see if maybe if you can catch Aaron Nola and have a pretty good game from Bryce Elder and score your typical five or six runs that they have and what they've been able to do against Nola this year, then I think you feel pretty good with a two-to-one lead and a chance with your two big horses over the next uh, couple of ball games from there. Um, they would face either Dodger, Dodgers or Diamondbacks, obviously. If they do move on from the Phillies, what team do you think would match up best for the Braves? You know what? They've had a history now. You know, the Dodgers have been that team when they won the World Series in 2021. They had to go through L.A. And they I was in the building when they beat them in game six. It was a you know awesome contest. Tyler Matzik gets the big three strikeouts in the eighth inning that pretty much ended the Dodgers season. But then when you go back to the COVID year, it was the Dodgers who got rid of the Braves. So there's a history there. They've, they've been matching up on a regular basis. Arizona concerns me because they're so young and they're so good and they might have the Cy Young Award winner that you would probably have to face at least two times in the series, maybe three, depending on how long it goes. So for me, again, you got Arizona with a with a two games and none series lead. Probably more than likely you're going to see Arizona. But uh, again, the, the, the Dodgers, there's history there. And I think all of Atlanta would probably be excited about seeing the Dodgers. So correct me if I'm wrong, game three, there's still the starter pit the starting pitcher has not been named yet for the Braves. Is that correct? It's okay, so it's undecided as of now, but everything looks like it's gonna be Bryce Elder. That has been the talk around the building. We're we're fortunate. Uh the the offices I work in, we are actually I can uh, step outside and throw a rock and hit the stadium. So we're I'm embedded over in the battery. And so that's just been the talk that we keep hearing that it looks like it's gonna be Bryce Elder. There is a possibility that they might go with Schauber, but again, they're looking at experience. Schauber's only got about four or five starts in the league so far this year. Game two, actually, you know, last night, game two actually had less hits than game one, uh, yet they scored more runs and were ultimately able to get the win. Does that stat just kind of concern you just in general? I mean, less hits, but still getting a win. I mean, what does that kind of speak to you, uh, just that that's that. Well, if you go in a really nerdy way, and I do enjoy the analytical part of the game, if you look mm-hmm. at what happened in game one, where they had seven different batted balls that were hit at over 100 miles an hour, and only two of them turned into hits. You know, typically the Braves' MO, when you score with them, it's typically from, from home runs. You know, they had 309. They tied the, the Minnesota Twins record from a number of years ago. They slugged 501. That is the best slugging percentage in the history of Major League Baseball. So if you're telling me that, you know, I'm not so much concerned about the amount of hits. I'm talking about, like, how hard are they putting the bat on the ball? And when you saw that game start with Wheeler basically dealing, and he strikes out the first six guys, you're like, if you're not putting the bat on the ball, you're not hitting out of the ballpark. And so that's – I'm more concerned about – Tell me about the quality of swings you're getting against their pitching versus how many uh, swings and good hits I'm getting against their pitching. Whenever we talk about baseball, playoff baseball, uh, particularly the team that gets that first round by, like the Braves did this year, were the fans concerned about a rush factor, especially after the first game? Maybe not so much after the second game, after last night, but was there a big concern of a rush factor? Definitely, Uh, in in part because of last year. Last year, the Atlanta Braves took that week and just, for lack of a better term, they chilled. They didn't do anything. They just waited, and so they were – uh, and, and also they had an injury situation. Max Freed had been sick. He had dropped about 15 pounds. Uh, Spencer Strider had not basically pitched the final month of the year. And so they were trying to get these guys rested. This time around, because it was a concern, they decided to have three simulated games. So they basically played 
on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of last hmm. week and did some simulated games in order just to start, uh, try and stay fresh. So, yeah, definitely was a concern being that you know, you've seen what the history is that's going on. The 100-win teams have a really hard time in this series because of how good the other teams are playing in order to get there. Let's talk about that, though. I mean, I kind of know the answer to this. I don't want to ask an obvious question, but would this season, if they were to lose to the Phillies in this NLDS, would this season be kind of a disappointment for the fans? I mean, they had the best record in baseball, of course, regular season, but obviously people don't care about the regular season. They want to go all the way in the playoffs. So what would, what would I mean, the fans would, would they be disappointed by this season overall, given that they did have the best regular season record? All right, I'm going to put it this way. So if disappointment's like a four on a scale of one to 10, a 10 is Greek tragedy. And it would be Greek tragedy because this team has been so good uh, throughout the course of this entire summer. There's so many records you can go back to. Obviously, you've got the first 40-70 man in Major League Baseball and Ronald Acuna Jr. You have so much power from this team. There's so many good stories and had an incredible summer here in Atlanta that I think the only way it culminates that doesn't feel like their their run of 14 straight where they only got one title out of it would be is if they can finish this thing off. And so that's the importance of them, at least the very worst, get to the World Series and see where it goes from there. Phillies are a very tough out. I mean, you look at Diamondbacks, you just talked about them. Young, inexperienced. Dodgers are playing terrible uh, in the in, in, in LDS right now. Um, do they kind of look at the Phillies as we get by them um, and we have not a smooth sailing, but a much, much easier path ahead? Well, I think they look at the Phillies like they look at themselves. They've got two horses and they hit the ball at the ballpark. And and they're probably the only other team, you know, outside of the Texas Rangers that's alive right now where you say they can put up seven runs without a problem in any ballgame. Mm-hmm. And so you better be on top of your ballgame. Uh, I, I think that's been the big challenge. And obviously going back to last year, you know, the Phillies eliminated them and it was it was embarrassing. I mean, the Phillies just it was like they they stole their lunch money and they took their girl and went on to the World Series. It was it was a tough pill to swallow, especially for the rivalry that we have uh, in the city of Atlanta with the city of Philadelphia. Yeah, the Phillies always play the Braves well. I mean, regular season, postseason, you know, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Uh, fans excited to see this game come back to five, though? I'm sure they are. I mean, I'm sure it's already sold out, right, for the, for game five, the inevitable game five. I mean, Braves, I think, will take one game in Philadelphia. I think they really will, and it's. I think it will come back to Atlanta. If you ever want, like, the big baseball experience, get a chance to go to playoff games in the battery because last night they did 43,000. That was the most they've ever done in that stadium. And then you have another 15 or 20 that are outside the stadium. And so that's pretty typical of what happens when it gets to these big games. Uh, You're basically living in a baseball village. And so, uh, yeah, as soon as those tickets are available, as soon as they go online, you give them one more win, uh, whether it ends up being a game five or you start having plans for game one next week, either way, the battery is going to be sold out. I do want to ask about, I saw this when I was watching the games and, you know, during the season as well. And then obviously the, the last couple of games, is there a media, is the media box out in outfield? Cause I know like there's a behind the picture. They always show like the, the white little stands and those very little people in those boxes. Are those the media boxes? So you do have, you have a number of the suites, the media boxes uh-huh. are elevated and are typically in between basically home plate and the first base and third base lines. But yes, what's yeah. also really cool is that they've set out a broadcast center out in right field over in, in the chop house. And so every now and then you'll see a national game where the broadcasters will actually be sitting in that group with the fans. And that's an area where actually they have a, they have little coolers for your adult beverages. You can just put it right there in front of you uh, and it keeps everything cool. And so that's one of the cool things about that, that facility is that you can broadcast with the rest of the media, or you can take your game out and do something out in right field. 
Yeah, it always looks like, I mean, obviously it's sold out. I mean, it's fitting just as much as Citizens Bank, if not more. But it always looks like it's not, the stadium's not as filled because that's what you see when they pan in on the picture. That's what you see on the outfield. It's like mm-hmm. that, you know, that, that media space or, you know, the box space that doesn't have a whole lot of people always in it. So it just kind of gives that illusion that maybe not it's not as crowded as it really is. Well, I'll tell you what, badly. you can always look at the numbers and can do it by percentage. Sure. Who is selling out the most amount of games, has the most amount of fans, you're going to find that the Atlanta Braves, when you compare it to every other team in Major League Baseball, are amongst the top two or three in terms of the percentage of their stadium that's constantly sold out. I do want to move on to the Falcons. Um, AFC South. Uh, is this... Uh, uh, NFC South, excuse me. Is this one of the most um, surprising uh, comp- or divisions this year? I would say this. We were looking at the division and saying, who gets quarterback play? Because you had the situation in New Orleans where they brought in Derek Carr like he was going to be their answer. Uh, Baker Mayfield, who's played really well, actually, with Tampa, in my opinion. And then we were kind of putting our hands up in the air and saying, okay, what exactly is Desmond Ritter going to be? And and that was a question, obviously, with with Bryce Young, obviously, in in Carolina. Uh, This has been a division where the Atlanta Falcons looked at as being very winnable. And for the amount of money that they spent this offseason, this was a team that was in cap hell for two years, basically didn't have any salary cap available then suddenly had about $85 million available, and, and they spent a quite a bit of chunk on that defense. And so uh, this is kind of a culmination of what they believed they were going to be. I, I still look at it and say, if you get to 10 wins, maybe even nine, you can win this division. Do you think uh, uh, Desmond Ritter is being underrated a little bit, especially you know after he played against the, the Texans a couple of weeks ago? Do you think he's being underrated? No, I think he's being looked at just as a, a typical young guy. You know, he, he's yet to win on the road uh, as an NFL starter, but then he's undefeated at home. And he finally had his first 300-yard game. Uh, he went for 329. If you go back to the previous two weeks, he looked like a man being chased by bees. Like, he had no idea what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's 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 really, which Desmond Ritter do you get? And he's got so many weapons around him. You know, they've used three high-end first-round picks, on uh, two on pass catchers and one on B. John Robinson, the eighth overall as a running back, that you kind of say, how do you get, you got to get the ball to these guys. And for two weeks, the previous two weeks leading up to the Texans game, he couldn't do it. And so a lot of people in this town were saying, what do exactly we have? I think if anything, he was able to kind of curtail a little bit of that criticism with his, uh, with his, would you say this is a stepping stone for the Falcons future? Do you think they have a bright future after this year? Uh, You know what? I think it all comes to quarterback play. If, If you got one, you got one. If you don't, you're roaming in the desert. You know, I, I, I kind of go back a little ways, and this will kind of age me. Uh, I used to cover the Dallas Cowboys back in, in 2001 all the way to 2004. So I saw the years after Troy Aikman went down and before they ever reached and, and had Tony Romo. And so it was Ryan Leaf and Clint Sterner and, and Randall Cunningham. It was just a, a desert of, of bad play. And so I think the Falcons are looking at this and saying, maybe Desmond Ritter can turn into a guy that can drive the bus. Maybe he can be a little bit better. Maybe he can be a, a top 15, top 17 guy. But until you know, you're just kind of you know check, checking the box. Okay, can our guy play? Okay, he can't. Let's move on to the next one. Are the fans worried that they might be um, relying a, a bit too much on the run game? Falcons. I think everyone's gotten used to it. You know, it's an it's an Arthur Smith offense, and it's always going to be based on on power run and play action. You know, so much of what you see in San Francisco and a number of other places where uh, so much of it is we're going to be power run, and everything's based off of that. Uh, last year, obviously, having a couple of thousand yard rushers clearly didn't hurt, but that's that's the way that they're built. That's the way they're going to play it. How? Um, I mean, let me let me ask you this: Do the fans expect to win the division this year? I mean, only two losses this year. 
Lions, really good team. Uh, for the first time in a long time, Lions are a really good team. Jaguars, also a good team. Uh, that wasn't even an away game. That also was in London. Not only away, but in London. So two losses against two really good teams. And like you said, both away. So, I mean, what do you, I mean, do they think they're going to win the division this year? And I don't think anyone really expected that, to be honest. I would say this over the the first or the last two weeks, no chance. Uh, this obviously kind of brought this back into focus, saying, "All right, you're three and two. You're in a pretty good place. You've you've the the games you've lost have been to some quality football teams. You know that does make sense. I guess the only problem is too. You've now seen in their three wins, they've all had to be come from behind fourth quarter wins, and it's hard to live like that in this league. They've yet to bury anybody. They've had to make it a point to score ten in the fourth, seven in the fourth. In this case, drive down for a last second kick." So to say, hey, do we expect to win the division around here remains to be seen. I I think people are optimistic based on how the defense is playing. It's considerably better. Uh, You like how the young quarterback responded. Uh, But as as far as going out there and, and, you know, smashing teams or even easily beating ball clubs, that has not happened around here as of yet. Do you think, um, I mean, who do they, who are they uh, more concerned with? uh, uh, The Saints or uh, the Buccaneers? I think at this point you've got to have your concern about the Bucks. That you know, yeah. when when you're getting decent quarterback play, and all of the numbers will tell you Baker Mayfield is playing solid quarterback for them. You know, it's a three and one football team, and until you know the Baker Mayfield shows up of maybe the past two years, you know, not the previous you know, three years ago when they were a playoff team in Cleveland. Um, but if the guy who shows up over the last two years shows up there, well, then you feel a lot better about it. Uh, New Orleans remains to be seen. You know that. That is going to be an interesting ball glove, uh, ball game when they play the Falcons. That is their primary rival. And obviously what they did to New England, New England's just a bad football team this year. But I, I think that that's a team that at times looks like they have struggled scoring. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, I mean, any chance to get a wild card? NFC kind of underperforming this year. Giants, terrible. Commanders have slumped over the last two weeks. And uh, NFC North is uh, pretty terrible, except the Lions, like we said. Uh, then NFC West, you really, I mean, NFC West is good, maybe with the exception of the Cardinals, but is, is a wild card in the possibility for the Falcons? Oh, I think that's definitely possible. Mm-hmm. You know, the way that the NFC is coming together, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if nine wins gets you in there, you know, a nine and eight team and you're one of the wild cards, you know, we'll have to, we'll have to kind of see what happens with, you know, Seattle, see if, if, if they're going to be one of those teams to compete for it. Uh, we'll see what happens obviously with Philadelphia and, and Dallas looks like they would be a wild card team in that division unless they get their act together. So, you know, the wild cards are out there. It's a possibility for the Falcons, but the divisions is just as much a possibility as well. Yeah. It's almost lucky that for, I mean, they might, if they do make a wild card, they probably will be one of the last wild card spots. Um, I don't think that's any surprise, but it's lucky for them. Vikings have been really slumping this year. So that's going to, they might end up, that might be the team that they overtake this year, you know, to go to the playoffs, which so lucky for, you know, your fans, Atlanta fans, the Vikings have been pretty, pretty awful this year. Well, and I'll point that out. You know, when you look at who your matchup is with, and when you look at the North, they're having to play the AFC West. So, you know, there's no a lot of cupcakes there for the Vikings. You know, I don't think they're going to be one of those teams that's going to be talking about, you know, another another 13 win season uh, with the Falcons. It's a little bit different. You're getting the AFC South. And so, you, you know, you're kind of looking at some of those teams going, they're trying to figure it out. Let's help them, you know, have some trouble, have some trouble figuring it out. Are the fans, how, how excited just, just in general, like are the fans for the future? I mean, young team, right? Drake London, Kyle Pitts, they've been playing really well lately too. Desmond Ritter, obviously, he's been kind of coming into a shell. That offensive line gets better here. He's going to be really good, I think. So what, I mean, just how excited just for the future of the fans coming up over the next like three, four years? It's interesting that you bring it up from an offensive perspective because here in Atlanta, it really is more so about a defense. 
you know, I've, I've given this number out a number of times on air over the years. So 40 sacks is like the goal for every team. Can I be a 40 sack team? Can I be one of those people uh, that, that goes after quarterbacks and gets them on the ground? Because at, at this point in the NFL, yeah, that's a one way to curtail offense. You got to get the quarterback on the ground. The Falcons haven't gotten 40 sacks since 2004. Okay. Like think about that. No, 2004 was the last time they had a 40 sack season. So the fact that they're getting pressure on people is, is it, it's revitalizing because now you don't feel like you're in the Matt Ryan era where oftentimes at the very end of his career, Matt had to go score 30 points to win a ball game. And, and this team defensively allows you to at least keep the game in front of you or somebody's not running away with a football game. And so as much as we do talk about those first round picks and the amount of offensive talent they have, it's really been about the defense and what it's been able to kind of remake how this team has been able to play and how they could win. Yeah. Um, what would be a successful season for the Falcons just considering all that? I mean, I know they're looking forward to the future, like we just said, but um, I mean, I always like to ask that because they're exceeding expectations right now. Uh, would just making the playoffs would that would fans be ecstatic about just even making the playoffs at this point? Yeah, because this is year three for their general manager and their head coach. And so this is winning time. And the first the first two years you knew what was going on. You were in salary cap hell. You legitimately would go into a season with 40 or 50 million dollars completely unavailable. That was what happened when you made the trade and moved Julio Jones over the Tennessee Titans and moved Matt Ryan over to the Colts. It just ate away your cap. It took all the dead money and, and stuck it in those two years. So I, I think if you can get to 10 wins and compete for 10 wins and win a division, I think that would be a, a hugely successful season because I don't look at them and say, wow, the quarterback play is so dynamic. I, you know, Look how they're going to run through the playoffs. It's like you need dynamic quarterback play in the NFL these days. All right. Hawks open up uh, October 25th. I think it's like, what, almost two weeks from now, uh, two weeks from tomorrow against Charlotte in Charlotte. What are the fans thinking about the Hawks this year? I always ask this. I mean, we've had other people on from NBA teams in the Eastern Conference. Obviously, Eastern Conference, massive shakeup this year. A lot of teams got weaker because of it. Uh, you know, Boston got better. Obviously, the Bucks got better. Um, I'll kind of ask the same question I just asked about the Falcons. I mean, what are the expectations for the Hawks this year? Would they be thrilled by even just a playoff berth for the Hawks as well? I would point it out to you this way. Who are they? Like, what are we going to find out? This is a team two years ago that was in the East Finals. And they were maybe a turned ankle from Trey Young away from being able to put the Bucks away. Like, that's the kind of playoff run they had. I think a lot of people just tend to forget it because, you know, they, they, they took care of New York. Then suddenly it was Philadelphia, the team they weren't going to be able to beat. And they blew right through Philadelphia, got them in seven games, and were sitting on a lead. I remember correctly, the Bucks' only home loss was to the Hawks two years ago. They come back in. You bring in DeJounte Murray. It's supposed to be a better team, and it just wasn't. They were supposed to be better defensively, and they just weren't. And so now you're talking about Quinn Snyder, and now here's a full year. You know, he's, he's not taking over midseason like what happened last year. It's going to be a full season with Quinn Snyder, and let's see exactly what they turn into. And, and so that's, that's why I say wait and see, because two years ago, you go through an East Finals, and then last year, you're struggling in playing games. You know, that's not what you're supposed to be if you're, if you're a young team that's building in the right direction. How concerned are the fans about John Collins leaving? Them getting less deep. That so you know, JC was a everyone was a big fan of his, and and he kind of set the tone within that locker room. But this this team really kind of it, it changed. It just altered last year, and somebody had to go. It's just that typical thing that happens in the NBA where, all right, uh, okay, who's the chief? All right, do I have five chiefs? Okay, I can't have five chiefs. I got to I got to drop this thing down a little bit. And so 
John Collins moving on was more, in my opinion, just about the atmosphere of what they were looking to do. Uh, I don't know if it makes them better or worse as of yet. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Um, but again, like I said, it's just, it was a team that we were expecting a whole lot more than we got last year based off of what they were two years ago. Well, people will be expecting more from Patty Mills uh, coming up, just his veteran presence. And not only that, but just, you know, Wesley Matthew too. I mean, with him leading John Collins, are they going to expect more? more of them this season to kind of fill that we'll gap. see what happens i i'm a big fan of patty mills i grew up as a spurs fan he's my favorite australian so that that's part of it so seeing him here uh at, at one point when when they were really good two years ago uh people kind of downplay it but lou williams was a factor for them you know he was a veteran presence off the bench that could help out uh you know when they needed those point guard minutes and so now if you're telling me that's patty mills with his history as as a guy who you know, can push the floor, but also he's a quality spot-up shooter. He's a quality three-point shooter. I think that that's something that adds to him. We'll see with the veteran presence of Wesley Matthews. I, I've talked about it this way. I've said how in this league, when it comes to the NBA, you don't win with kids. It's like you got to have grown men. And it's like they basically had a pop year with a lot of kids, a lot of young people. And over the last two years, it's been about overhauling and making sure they've got some some grown men with some big butts who, who don't mind bringing it every single night. Because this team last year – would would coast at times and it was it was kind of weird it's like you guys have not arrived to coast through a game in february or march yeah no i mean i agree definitely what do what do fans think about trey young i mean obviously great player i don't mean it like that but do they kind of feel feel for trey young sometimes i always think and i always say trey young would be potentially considered a top five player in the league if he was on a more consistent better team is that how the fans kind of feel about him too do they feel like they're kind of wasting not wasting but you know, not utilizing his potential to the fullest. So what happens is this, when Trey goes for 40 and 10, everyone's like ice Trey and he's Atlanta and he's our guy and he's incredible. When Luka Doncic goes for 40 and 20, everyone goes, Oh my God, I can't believe we traded Luka for Trey. And that's the dichotomy of what happens. It's, it's a, it's a nightly thing. And so they are always going to be linked to one another. It, it's, it's never going away. And so even though both of them, you know, Luca was able to, in the NBA bubble, get his team to a, to a conference final, but they've both been to the same places, but they've also been wildly inconsistent. You know, obviously Dallas pretty much tanked at the end of last year when they realized they weren't going anywhere. Uh, but, the, but the Hawks, what did they have to boast of? Hey, we, uh, we got ourselves another first round exit. So that, that's really the, the, the feeling about him is that when he plays well, everybody loves him. We see the stuff he can do, but then you end up, you know, looking to the West and watching Dallas and go, what could have been? Just how it is. Yeah, I think he's he's under contract until when is he? I'm trying to look that up he, now. Actually. He got a he got a super max that he got qualified it, right, for. Right, so right. he's he's locked up for for quite a while as of now. But it, you know how these contracts work. If if you don't like where you're at, as long as you got the deal, then you go to management and say, "I want to be traded." And and so we can always say, "Oh, look, he's got four or five more years left on his deal." That's only so the next team knows what they're trading for. That's all it's really yeah. come down to now in the league. Nobody wants to be blamed for the reason you're not you're not winning. Just put a just putting a price tag on somebody is really all it is. <laughs> That's all it is at this point. These guys want out, and, and what do teams do? They ain't gonna fight with you. They're like even Dame Lillard. Like we, we got to figure out something. That's a great segue though. To what I was gonna ask next. I mean, do you ever see Trey Young being one of those superstars that demands a trade? Oh, I think all of them do. Yeah. When we heard Giannis bring that up and, and point out, hey, if we're not serious about winning, you know, I'm going to have to weigh my options. Well, what happened two weeks later? Hey, we'll go get Lillard. Like we, every one of these guys, as soon as they point that out, it makes it, it suddenly it happens. And and as a guy who grew up as a Spurs fan and, and followed that franchise, you know, the way I do, 
when we had the same thing happen where you're like, hold on a second, Kawhi Leonard, there's no one who's supposed to be more spur than Kawhi Leonard, the guy who doesn't talk, the guy who doesn't show any emotion, and yet he decided, hey, I want out of here. Yep. It, it happens everywhere. It happens with every single one of these guys. Eventually they decide, I don't want to be the reason why we're losing or why we're not winning. There's, this is not the, the 80s and early 90s anymore where it's like you're identified with your team. This is my my club. It's no longer like that. That's a good point, though. I mean, are fans clamoring for him to demand more? Because maybe they'll put a fire under the front office in Atlanta to well, get some players around him. Well, that was that was the move for DeJounte Murray. And they they gave up some picks to go get him. And he was helpful for them. And he carried the load during the during the playoffs last year, uh, you know, when they needed somebody. But it, it still comes back to all right, now that you're seeing the next year in this offensive system, are we going to see them blossom? Are we going to see these guys now kind of put it together? Because the only thing that's happened in Atlanta that causes you to to kind of, you know, shake your head a little bit. Ownership has talked about spending and spending into the luxury tax, but they haven't. They've gotten very close, but you don't want to spend into the tax unless you feel like you have a team that's advancing and it's a pretty good team. And until they show consistently they can be a good team, ownership will not spend wildly into the luxury tax. Do you think he would be considered a top five player, though? Kind of going back to what we were just saying with, you know, comparing him to, like, say, Luca, like if he was in the bigger market, well, Atlanta's a big market, but like just even like a, oh, yeah. a little bit better of a team like Philadelphia. I do think if he was on like Philadelphia or, you know, the Knicks where like all the spotlights on them, do you think he would be considered a top five? I mean, like on the verge, maybe of a top five. I think what happens is this, and sometimes we're behind it. The way that Luke, the way that Luca plays and the way that Trey plays, the kids love them. Like they, they, other marketplaces respect them more, in my opinion, their own marketplace. So, you know, when I worked in Dallas for a long time, I still have friends that host radio shows there and they always talk about how Luca's fat and Luca's out of shape. And Luke is not ready to bring it for, for 48 minutes. Trey, we always have our stuff we say about him here. But then, I don't know if you've ever seen like the schedule releases like what the uh, mm-hmm. the Chargers do. And if, if you saw this past year, when they had a joke about New York, it had in the corner Trey Young as being New York's daddy. Okay, like other teams recognize this guy's cool, this guy's special. Whether he's top five or not remains to be seen. I think he's definitely a top 10 player when you see the numbers he puts up and the consistency of what he does. My last question about the Hawks. I mean, this has been awesome, Carla. I mean, Carlos, I really appreciate your time. Um, really love to talk. What um, I always wondered about Atlanta, specifically the Hawks, because NBA has such a big media impact in Atlanta. They've like a lot of big media outlets in Atlanta. I mean, you know, TNT's there, massive contract. Oh, sure, Turner's here. Massive yeah. contract. Yeah, massive contract with you know NBA. Obviously, NBA I think even has offices out there. Is that? Does that ever kind of play its hand a little bit in the Hawks? I mean, does that give more pressure to them? Does it give, I don't know, like, I, I don't even know what I'm trying to ask, but I always wondered, like, how that affects the Hawks. Uh, I'll, I'll put it to you this way, because I know what you're asking, because I think about this too. What happens is this is a huge NBA market. Every single time we have the NBA Finals or a big Finals matchup, Atlanta's one of the top. Every single time. The, the TNT broadcast, the, the doubleheaders, Atlanta always does extremely well. Similar like what you see like Birmingham when it comes to SEC football. It's like Birmingham's always number one. Atlanta's always one of the tops when it, ter- it comes to NBA. The problem is, unless you're relevant and you're exciting locally, the NBA fan doesn't have time for the Hawks. It's it's a different it's a different fandom. And so 
when you have like, for instance, a, a Michael Vick in town, then suddenly everybody's a Falcons fan. Um, now that you have Trey Young in town, well, now the Hawks do sell out and they get a lot more viewership than they did even years before when they were winning 60 games. You know, it's it just 60 games. You're going to an NBA uh, an East Finals and you're playing LeBron. That that team did not grab this city. Ronald Acuna Jr. grabs this city. You know, this city is about stars, about icons. When, when people refer to Atlanta as Black Hollywood, it's 100% correct because this is an area that has so much entertainment, uh, so much movie making. You know, so many of the things that go on here you know, when you watch a Marvel movie and you see it end with the Georgia peach, it's because they're all here making these movies. And so that's that's why you always have to you got to fight for attention around here. It's kind of like Miami. <laughs> so it's more about the stars, basically, not just who's what team is the most popular in Atlanta, pretty much. So what would be the most popular team, basically, out of the Falcons and the Braves and the and the Hawks. Uh, right now, it's definitely the Braves. The, the, the Braves hold on to that. But I would also point out, too, uh, don't forget, we got Georgia football 30 minutes up the road. And so, you know, every, every Saturday, mm-hmm. it's watch the contingent of people head over to Stanford Stadium to go watch the Bulldogs. You know, my wife's a Bulldog. You know, that's that's typically first and foremost, even ahead of the Atlanta Falcons. A lot of it is based on what the, what the Georgia football team is doing and, and what the Atlanta Braves are doing. Should they be number one, in your opinion? Uh, Bulldogs until until you knock them off, yeah. right? If you had two straight nation's longest winning mm-hmm. streak, just took yeah. care of Kentucky. You know, by gave them a fifty burger. You know, it's, it's what it is. Until somebody beats them, you know, they're the man. Yeah, we have been criticizing them on the show. I mean, not being able to really, they should be blowing out some of the teams that they've been playing. But I was I was very impressed by last week's. Uh, they blew out Kentucky. No, it, it's been legitimate. They've been slow starters mm-hmm. to, to start this to start this year. But yeah. uh, with Kentucky and what Carson Beck is now doing, it's a it's a very interesting football team for the back half of the year. The final six games, see you know, see if they can continue this role. Well, hey, we'll see what. Hopefully, they can stay number one uh, and make the playoffs. I mean, if they obviously win out, they will. And you... well, my wife would appreciate it. Sure. I'll, I'll just point it out that way. You know, and and then and my put it this way. My pocket is not appreciated quite as much because, you know, there was the, we were at the Ohio State game where it happened on, on New Year's Eve, uh, went to the Rose Bowl a couple of years ago. We were in Indianapolis for when they beat Alabama. And so I wouldn't mind taking a year off of not having to pay for playoff games. But, you know, it's kind of what I think happens. I know the answer to this, but are Georgia tickets more expensive than Falcons tickets? Put it this way. You can get into the building and get good seats for the Falcons considerably easier. Like mm-hmm. I when it comes to a Georgia football game, you might have to give away like a firstborn yeah. every now and then. Uh, I mean, it's very hard to even get tickets, let alone the price for Georgia tickets. So I don't know how you know it, it works uh, where you guys are at, but first off, if you wanted to have season tickets, you have to start with a donation. Wow. And depending on what your level of donation is, it will depend on what kind of tickets you have access to. So if you were saying, hey, I'd like to sit, you know, maybe 40 yard line and halfway up, someone's going to tell you, Okay, for your two seats, let's start at about twenty, twenty-five thousand, and then we'll give you the opportunity to buy them. Yeah, me, me, and Justin are actually from the Philadelphia area, so not nearly as big football seat. <laughs> I was gonna say, the, I was gonna say, I don't, I don't think the Temple Owls are charging no, that. I don't as think so. Basketball is a little bit. You know, basketball can get a little bit uh, crazy up here. Obviously, we have mm-hmm. Villanova. Oh sure, uh, you know Villanova's great. So yeah, that basketball is much bigger up here than football is. But yeah, I can. I could. I would love to experience. I don't think I'll. I'll never live in the south. I don't think, but I, I would love to experience just how it is. With <laughs> you got to do it one time. Yeah, do it. Do an SEC tailgate. Make sure you do either a three thirty or a seven thirty start. Don't mess with the noon starts. Three thirty or seven thirty, and enjoy the entire day uh, of of what it ends up becoming because it's a it's a whole lot of fun. Yeah, I lived in Kentucky last year, and um, 
uh, the tickets for you know the uh, Kentucky basketball games were far more expensive than oh, Sixers. Oh yeah, insane, so, definitely. Yeah, so it was just insane. But unfortunate, I wasn't able to go to a game. But mm. <laughs> hey, maybe those maybe time in the future. Well, Carlos, this has been awesome. I this has been a really fun time. I, I really appreciate you coming on. We have to do it again sometime soon. Not a problem. Let me know when you need Thanks it, guys. For coming no on, we'll definitely be in touch soon. All right. All right. Take care. All right. Take care. Okay, let's finish the show up, guys. Zach, who is your intake of the week? My intake of the week, Mario Cristobal. We just talked about him making the one of the worst coaching decisions of all time. Today, he owned up to his mistake and saying that we should have taken a knee and ended the game. Well, here's the thing. Miami's played five games this year, and they've had a chance to run victory formation in all five of them, and they have yet to do that. They have handed the ball off in every circumstance. Now, the first four were in multiple possession games, so it didn't matter. This is the first time it was a one possession game, and obviously Cheney fumbled the ball, and Georgia Tech ended up going down winning the game. Mario Cristobal, this is not the first time he's done this. 2018 at uh, Oregon, playing Stanford, they had a chance to do something somewhat similar. 51 seconds to go, Stanford only had one timeout. He probably could have taken two knees and either ended the game or come within four or five seconds of ending the game and said he handed the ball off and fumbled. So Mario Cristobal can take ownership all he wants. fact of the matter is he has not learned his lesson, and this team now has a big game with North Carolina this week. They've still got to play Florida State. Miami's ACC title hopes probably died last Saturday night. And, yes, Mario owns up to it, but that is still one of the worst coaching moves of all time. You better own up to it. My intake of the week, 24-7 Sports released their preseason top 25 for college basketball coming up. Kansas Jayhawks, number one team. I agree with this. It's actually not what the AP poll says. It's not what even what the coaches poll say, but I do agree. Kansas, or Kansas is going to be the best team in the league this year. Uh, Hunter Dickinson returning, absolute star. I mean, he's going to be amazing in the NBA. He's going to be amazing for the Jayhawks next year. I mean, they got Kevin McCuller. They have um, you know Harris, Adams, all returning to Great on defense. They're going to be such a tough out when March comes around, and they're going to, yeah, they're going to they're going to have an amazing season. They are definitely the number one ranked team. I think the AP poll right now they have them as number four. Uh, I don't believe in that at all. I mean, the coaches poll it doesn't have them as number one either. So yeah, Kansas City Jayhawks, twenty four seven sports number one team in the country going into the season. And I uh, I definitely buy that. Justin, what is your intake of the week? My intake of the week is the Nathaniel Hackett and Sean Payton situation. Kind of knew it was going to escalate, but for Nathaniel Hackett getting the victory over Sean Payton, that was a that was a very impressive victory for Hackett, and it just shows you that Sean Payton should be back in the broadcast booth with Fox. His coaching days are over. Uh, that was that was actually Dan Celio's intake i mean that was one of his takes and that came true i mean this team is a joke this team needs to just break it up in denver with the way russell wilson and uh and sean payton have been have been going in this personnel i mean this is a pretty talented team if you ask me for yeah. the most part but this is not a team that that should be together next year or in the future yeah, he looks it, this whole season makes him look so bad, especially with the comments you made earlier in this, or before the season started, actually. Zach, what's your outtake of the week? 
Yeah, so my outtake of the week is going to be the Giants on another Sunday night primetime football game. Like, get them off my television. We don't need to be seeing them on national TV anymore. They're 15-point underdogs already against the Bills because we don't know if Daniel Jones is going to play. They actually reduced the number to 14. That kind of tells you what Vegas thinks of Daniel Jones not being able to play. He's only a one-point difference. For uh, context, Patrick Mahomes, 7.5 points according to the spread. That's how much his value is. Aaron Rodgers, 5.5 points uh, as recently as just last season. So Daniel Jones not being valued heavily by Vegas and the Giants still being overvalued by the NFL by continuing to have them on Sunday night. I guess they decided to keep the Bills on there because Buffalo is a national team now, but that is going to be an ugly game, and I don't know why the Giants are still playing primetime games. My outtake of the week, Phil Simms. Uh, Phil Simms uh, said after last season that Daniel Jones is actually a better passer than Jalen Hurts. Uh, definitely looking bad. That take is looking very, very bad right now. Uh, nothing is showing that Daniel Jones is better in any avenue of quarterback than Jal- uh, Jalen Hurts. Uh, completion percentage is pretty similar. I think on the season, Jalen is like 67 and then Jones is 68, which is I'm actually surprised about. But um the eye test, I mean, the difference in yardage and the eye test is alone. I mean, Hurts throwing for over uh, 1260 yards in the season. Uh, Jones uh, just under 900. Um, yeah, I mean, nothing. Jones is nothing close to as good of a quarterback as uh, um, Hurts is, and not even not even close in any category, especially passing. So, yeah, bad take by Phil Sims. That's my outtake of the week. Justin, what's your outtake? My outtake of the week is all the hype with the Dallas Cowboys and all the predictions saying the Dallas Cowboys are going to the Super Bowl this year. This is not a Super Bowl team. This is not, I mean, this for a 3-2 and two team, this is a wild card team, maybe, but the this is the Philadelphia Eagles division to rule. This is the Eagles division to lose, and it might be theirs to rule for the next few years. You see with the Giants, and they're just, Complete mismanagement. Now, no talent around Daniel Jones, and they're going to have to eat that contract too. And the Cowboys, maybe even time to move on from Dak Prescott. Personally, I think Jones and Prescott, and even maybe even Justin Fields, are three quarterbacks I'd like to see on different teams next year. And Washington, obviously, they still they still got some rebuilding stuff and transitional stuff with the new ownership, but. This is the Philadelphia Eagles division to rule, but my outtake here, all the predictions saying the Dallas Cowboys going to the Super Bowl, no no way. I mean, we said it at the beginning of the year, this Cowboys team is super overhyped, and they are overhyped every year. I know it's Dallas and Jerry Jones and all the roster that they got, but this is not a Super Bowl team, and after two weeks – that everybody should have pumped the brakes. I said it earlier. They always resort resort back to their midseason form, and especially down the line, especially you know as the, as the playoffs loom, they always start to you know resort back to that sloppy play. Especially Dak Prescott. Like I said, Sunday night three interceptions, and they just got humiliated by uh, the 49ers. All right, great show, guys. Um, Thursday, Arid as as Vondi from TSN Toronto is going to come on. Raptors coming up. Blue, uh, yeah, Blue, Blue Jays just got uh, out of the wild card. No longer going into October. We'll love to get into with him. Great interview with him. Um, but until then, we'll see you then and keep on traveling. 